Look at that. So this is on. Um, so welcome. And I think, well, my name's Randy, in case you don't know. I'm pretty sure you knew that already, but that's okay. Um, I want to give you a little handout as something to take away. Um, and it, it, it's kind of where I'm going, but Kelly asked me, in fact, she saw the handout, and she says, well, wait a minute, that's, I wanted you to share your thing. And uh, she asked me to do this first before we ever started thinking about as a uh, kind of an experiment um, because she and I were talking about my experience over the last couple of years. So I want to start with more or less a testimony. Um, let me tell you what. I'm going to just leave this with you for right now, and if anybody else comes in, if you would just... Um, there's no blanks. I mean, if you wish to make notes and you don't have something to write with, uh, we've got pens right in the back. But uh, I purposely did not put blanks down because I didn't know what you would be writing on for sure. So like I said, Callie and I were talking actually about a month ago about some things that have happened in my life. And most of you guys know that the last couple of years has been a little bit different for me. Um, and you may or may not know some other things, but let me set the stage for you, some things that you should know about me in order to understand why what I want to share with you is important. First of all, I grew up without the Lord. Um, was, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I did not grow up even going to things like this. Um, there was basically nothing. We just didn't do that. The, the closest that I had in terms of exposure was going to uh, a church service with my grandparents when we would visit them uh, in the summers. And honestly, it was meaningless to me, totally meaningless, because nobody explained what was going on. There was no background for us, and uh, it was just weird stuff that we were going to and kind of trying to figure out. Um, and that meant that there were some things going on in my life and put it together with the fact that I grew up in the Air Force. We moved around a lot. I never kept a friend past a move. You know, once you move, that was it. They're gone. They're, they're dead to you, so to speak. Pardon? No. No, that happens, unfortunately, to a lot of people. And so, like a lot of people in my situation, a lot of kids in my situation, I looked for something to put my energy into and, and frankly, to put my self-esteem, to put my, my meaning, if you will, into it. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, but I did. And uh, for me, what that was is violence. Um, it, it was, I just, I got into fights like you can't believe all the time. And as I got older, I began to do it more systematically. I worked out a lot. When I was 16 years old, I, a typical week would be five days of six hours workout, most of it weights, um, plus running seven to ten miles. Um, I was training for the Olympics, and uh, everything was about physical. Now, there's a good thing to that. I'm going to come back to that. But it's also rather obviously over the top. Um, and it was, it was so little effective in terms of giving me a good reason to live and so forth that that year I tried to kill myself. And I came to the Lord out of a suicide attempt. And one of the first things that came to me that the Lord impressed on me was that 
my life was so out of balance, even at that young age, so into trying to dominate people so that they couldn't hurt me, so into trying to be physically everything, um, that I had totally missed so much. Um, and, and I kind of went the other way for a little while, but for, for the most part, I backed off of that extreme. But you could never quite take out of me that drive to just stay in shape, to work out, to do things. And so after I came to the Lord, I spent about three, four, five years. It was about five years, I guess. And I was very, very active in the jobs. My, my job throughout college was moving 500-pound rolls of paper around at a printing company. And I would do that anywhere from two to six hours a day, depending on my school schedule. So it was you know, kind of a way to stay in shape somewhat. And then we went into ministry full-time. And I started looking for other ways to stay in shape. And um, after experimenting with a number of things, schedule-wise and so forth and cost-wise, how many have ever gotten a membership in a gym? How many have have supported the gym management without any cost to them? (laughs) And I did that. I'm actually uh, at a gym now, and I get my money's worth out of it. But um, boy, did I not do that before. And so finally I ended up in Oregon about 30 years ago and decided I should be running again. Now, I had run when I was a kid. It was road work. It's what I called it. I didn't like running. I didn't want to run. I did it to keep my endurance up so that I could compete. But in Oregon, it was a little different. If you've ever lived in the Northwest, it's kind of a running culture. And part of it is because if you go outside, the very ground is, is different. And you start running, and it's softer. And it's like running on a wrestling mat instead of baked clay. And there's trees. I mean, real trees. You know, they're actually tall. There's, there's forests everywhere. There's little parks in the middle of housing developments. And one in particular that was fairly close to me where there was a, a mile trail in circumference around the, the place. And literally, I'd be on the trail, and there could be a house where that wall is, and I couldn't see it. It was that dense. If you've been in the, the forests of the Northwest, you know what I'm talking about with all the ferns and the, the, the deep undergrowth. It just sucked me in. I loved it. And so oh, I, with a little bit of a tendency to overdo whatever it is I'm doing, um, I really got into it. And I took up running for fun. I took up running with partners. By the time I moved, I had about 30 different regular running partners. And I started running to see what I could do. So first was a 5K. And I did it. I was the guy. The police literally came behind the race because they had closed the streets and said, sir, could you please finish the race on the sidewalk? We have to open the streets. That was my first race. Um, But I stayed with it. We kept going. I was never good. Never good. The very best I ever did was 40% down from the leader of the whole. That was my personal best finish. But part of that is because I got to run with some of the best runners in the world, literally. I mean, they were, in, in that sport, they were like the Michael Jordans of the day, and that was in the years when Michael Jordan was actually playing. I worked my way up to where my longest run was a 100-mile race, and I finished that in the year 2000. I moved here in 2002, 
And things went downhill from there because the surfaces here were so hard and I was so used to the softness that I continued the mileage, but I didn't realize what I was doing to my hips and my knees. And my arthritis really set in. And about seven years ago, I just stopped running altogether. Did a lot of walking, trying to do something, but I couldn't run. Now, the reason I'm telling you all that is because a couple months ago, I changed doctors. Now, most of you know that a year and a half ago, it was a year and a half ago, I went into the hospital and uh, underwent an extraordinary procedure, and I almost died. I almost died twice in the hospital, and then I came very close again the week I came out. And when I changed oncologists two months ago, Donna and I were talking with this, the new one, and she was poring over the computer, looking at everything, all the notes that everybody wrote and everything, listening to me, listening to Donna. And at the end of it, she said, okay, so you're inactive now. Your disease is in, not, not that I am. Your disease is inactive. I said, that's good. And she said, so here's what you have to do. You need to get in the absolute best condition you can possibly be in. Because had you not been in that kind of condition, had you not run all those years, when I went into the hospital, they tested me, believe me, they tested me thoroughly. My lung capacity was approximately 130, 135% of normal for a man my age. Um, actually for any adult male, the way they, they put it. And I hadn't run in seven years. But because of all of that, there was a residual strength that had built up in my heart, in my lungs. And she said, if you hadn't done that, and you hadn't been that way, if you had just been average or normal, you would never have walked out of the hospital. She said, that's how close you came. And frankly, I, I learned about, because I, was, I don't have any memory of that time. The last two weeks of the hospital is pretty well gone. And so I learned about these things by listening to these docs, reading the notes, and then telling me. And it was, it was kind of an interesting statement, and it motivated me again. Um, I've been working out anyway. I'm up to a 10K, walking, unfortunately, not running. But I have run as much as three minutes, um, and I do have a goal of being able to run a 5K again um, on a trail, a soft trail, um, with my daughter, who has taken up running. Soft trail? No, but a relatively soft, cushioned treadmill does. I hate treadmills, but it's, it's, they, I've got them at the gym. And um, so if I, if I train hard enough, the question, honestly, is the arthritis and the IT on my right leg. I got the metal from the accident taken out uh, last October, so I no longer have any steel in my leg. And that's nice, but they had to slice through my ITs to do that. And, yeah, they're still really not there yet. Um, but my goal is that uh, to take another trip at New Year's, to go back to Texas, see my kids, and run a 5K with my daughter. I don't know if I'm going to make the goal. But what I know is the harder I work towards that goal, the more likely when this comes back, and I'm told it will if I don't get hit by another truck first, I will survive it. Now, as I told that story, I was just talking with Callie, <laughs> excuse me, and she said, you know, that's kind of where we're going with all the sports camp. People need to hear that. So here's, here's the message. You guys, I'm talking to you first as parents, but of course it's going to come back to you. 
But as parents, I just want to say to you, the better shape you're in right now, and get in. And I'm not saying you have to run 100 miles. You can do all sorts of things. But the, the better condition you're in, heart, lungs, excuse me, uh, circulation, the, not, not the things that some magazine is going to be interested in if, if they want to take pictures, but the things that make you truly healthy, the better you're going to be. And the better your children are right now, because I was doing this all my life, and that's one of the reasons why the residual effect lasted so long. My lung capacity today is still average or above, even after all I've gone through. And that's a cool thing, because there was times, as many of you have seen, where I did really well to walk from the back by the baptistry out to the stool that I sat on when I taught on Sunday morning and back. And what you may not know is there was always somebody back there waiting to rush out and catch me that first two months. Because, I mean, that's, that's where I was. But my lung capacity stayed. One of the things that almost killed me in the hospital was fungal pneumonia. And on top of that, I'd already, my kidneys had already shut down, and then I got the fungal pneumonia. And they literally called my daughter and said, if you want to see him before he dies, you need to come in. Never knew about that until she told me six months ago. But when, when they, they came in the next morning, they couldn't make it that night, and they came in the next morning, um, I had turned a corner, and I'm sitting there smiling in a chair. According to her, I don't remember any of it. And again, the doc says, the only reason you didn't die that night is because your lungs were so strong when you started. So here's what I'm saying. First of all, you love your kids, right? And you provide for your kids. You're even doing enrichment stuff like this ministry for your kids. So here's the thing that I want to encourage you to do. Look out for your kids' health. There's a passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy 4, 7. I said 7b, it's the last part of that, and 8. Um, you've got it on your sheet. Paul tells Timothy, discipline yourself. And the word literally is train. Discipline or train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Bodily discipline is only of little profit. The word only, by the way, is a translator's uh, note. It actually says, literally, is of little profit. In other words, a little profit. It's not that it, it's hardly anything it's not worth doing. It's a comparative. Bodily discipline helps. It's good. But, he says, godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, godliness, spiritual health, is for now and for eternity. Here's a challenge that we have as parents. And I say we. I'm still coaching my kids somewhat. And, uh, by the way, that, that goal my, will then be 14-year-old grandson will be joining us for that 5K because he's already started running cross-country. You know, he can outrun me easily right now. So it's not just, I mean, you don't know how far this can go. 
And we need to focus on the physical, and we need to help our kids be physically healthy. Because by doing so and helping them get into the habits now, you don't know what they're going to hit 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. But we do know we're all going to hit it sooner or later. And the healthier we are when we hit it, the better our lives are as we're fighting it. And in some cases, as in mine, the longer the Lord gives you. But it also means that we need to be careful that it's not just physical, that we're looking out for them spiritually. And this needs to be very intentional, not just kind of hoping that they do well, but very intentionally setting them up for success. So let me suggest some things that will help you to do that. First of all, here's some three overarching principles that I encourage everybody to be doing. And, and understand this. The first one is, is, I think, the most important. You need to be what you want them to be. Okay? If it's physical, emotional, spiritual, it doesn't matter. Relational. In all those ways, one of the scariest passages of Scripture for me, and it's not on your page if you want to write it down, look up the context, it's the Gospel of Luke, 6th chapter, 40th verse. Jesus is talking to his followers. He's basically saying to them, look, don't expect them to treat you differently than they're treating me. And look what they're doing. But that particular sentence says, a student who has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Now stop and think about that for a minute. A student who has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Who are your kids' primary teachers? You are. And there's all sorts of research, by the way, that supports that. No matter what educational uh, path that you've chosen for your kids, the bottom line is no teacher, no peer, no parent of, uh, of somebody else is going to exceed the influence you have on your kids for positive or negative. Because the student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Did anybody here ever hear the phrase "Do as I do and not, or do as I say and not as I do"? Did you hear that one? How'd that work for you? I heard that growing up. I, I can, I mean, right now I can see my father's face, and I can hear him saying it. And what it did for me, especially as I went into early teen years, is motivate me to reject him in every way possible. And that's where I went with it. Because I couldn't stand hypocrisy. And telling me, I'm not going to do it, but you better. Uh, I mean, when I was eight years old, he could make me. But when I got big enough that he couldn't, that was the end of it. Kids are going to be that way. But if we are what we want them to be, then they're going to also literally be the way we want them to be. It's, it's going to be a very good thing, and we can help them in a lot of different ways. So on your, on your sheet, I'm going to get down to some of those in physical and spiritual. But before that, second, let me hit the second overall arching principle. Not, it's not just being what you want them to be, but make sure they can see that. All right? Because let's face it, a lot of our life to them is mysterious. How many of you are aware your parents had a sex life? What? See? Yeah, what? They what? You say what? Yeah. 
I mean, we all think there's like maybe a spaceship or the Great Pumpkin, an egg. I don't know. Something happened. But that just creeps us out. That just creeps us out. And I remember teaching my kids. Now, my baby is uh, too much short of six weeks. Wow. Six weeks short of 34. Okay? And has four kids. So I'm pretty sure she's figured all this out by now. But I remember teaching our, our kids and, and talking about Donna and I. Now, we didn't get explicit in terms of our own sexual experiences, but just the very implication that she and I were sexually active or ever had been creeped them out no end, right? And so that what kids do is they tend to say to parents in their heads, you're different. You're not human. You're parents. Parents are not human. They're parents. And they put you in a different category. Okay? And it's not just with things like that. It's with everything. So you may be very, very, very disciplined. You may be very strong in the things that you're doing. And they may be very good for you. But that doesn't mean your child knows how to do that unless you have made sure they've seen it and understand. Yeah, this is why I'm this way. This is how that happened. So make sure that they can see it and explain it to them. And number three, excuse me, if what you want them to be isn't where you are, explain that to them and grow with them. I told you a little earlier that for me, um, anger was one of the big issues growing up. Um, If you've ever been around anybody that had anger stuff, you know that doesn't just go away. So that's haunted me my whole life. Now, I haven't harmed anybody in over 40 years, physically. I probably have in other ways, but um, I'm, I'm getting better at all of those. Physically, I haven't touched anybody in over 40 years. And if you knew me, that's pretty amazing what the Lord did. But the anger was still there. And I was growing in it. But my son, who's the oldest, was growing up while I was growing in it. Not the mellow, emotional Gumby you see before you, but that guy. And I can remember when he was eight years old having to sit down with him and talking, talk to him about his own anger because it was getting to the point where he didn't know what to do to deal with it. And as I was talking to him about it, I knew. I was teaching parenting classes all over the place. I knew he knew about me. And so I had to say, Josh, you know, I struggle with this too. He goes, yeah? He was a little surprised, I would say, I think. And I said, so here's the thing. I'm growing. I'm doing better. You and I need to work together so we can grow together. (laughs) Excuse me. Now, my son dealt with anger in a lot of different ways. But my son is 38 years old. Well, in August, he'll be 38 years old. He has never been in a fight in his life. With slight exception of shoving his little sister away. And that was only because she was beating him up. (laughs) She had a medical condition when she was a baby, so we drilled in. You can't touch the baby. It wasn't until she was six years old that we finally had to say, you know, you don't have to let her hit you. (laughs) So that was like an amazing, amazing epiphany to him. 
it was a very snowy day, fortunately, when he first uh, acted on that. And she came after him and started to hit him, and he just shoved her. And he's two years older and was significantly bigger. And she just went flying, but she flew into a snowbank, so everything was good. Um, I honestly don't think there was ever another one even between them. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean he didn't have to deal with his anger. But the thing that got him motivated to do that was he and I working on it together. And he would call me on things, and I had to let him do that because it was real. So whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional, it doesn't matter. As we're teaching our kids to be healthy, they're going to see us, and they're going to see us real. So whatever it is that we're struggling with, if it's something we're struggling with, we want them to be stronger, we need to share that with them in a way they can understand, at a level they can understand, and then together work on it and grow. Not just so, do as I say and not as I do, because they're going to reject that. Okay, let's look at briefly some specifics for physical and spiritual, and then uh, if you've got any questions, I'd be happy to address them, and then after that we'll just uh, give you time to just veg and sit and relax, talk to each other. Three things physically. Obviously, there's a lot more than this, but this is basic, okay? And if you do these three things basically with your kids, they're going to be on a very, very good track. Number one, eat healthy, okay? That means you've got to make good choices. And for some of us, that's real problematic because, <laughs> you know, you, you eat dinner and you go to a, mo- uh, a meeting and you come out of the meeting and you're smelling good food and someone comes over and shoves a plate of tacos in front of you and now at 9.30 or 10, you're eating a second dinner. Thank you very much. <laughs> last night. Last night. <laughs> it was. I ate it. Yeah. Oh, it was good. It was good. We don't, we don't make choices that are bad because the food's bad. We don't go find bitter, horrible, yucky-tasting food and say, wow, I've got to get me some of that. You know? We eat things because they taste great. And I don't think that's entirely bad, and I'm going to get to that in a second here, but we've got to be careful about our choices because our kids will learn habits. And it's all about habits. We talked about earlier, this is water. Water and some uh, fruit juice, mostly apple now, uh, and the occasional hot chocolate is basically the only thing I had to drink ever now. And I haven't had anything else since I got out of the hospital because all those bad habits got broken somehow because I, I was not in a shape to eat or drink anything. And by the time I got out of the hospital, they were broken. So, wow, I don't want to start those up again. Now, unfortunately, some of the eating habits have picked up again because they say eat everything you can as much as you can. And I took them at their word. And I didn't, I mean, for a long time, that was almost nothing. And then all of a sudden, oh, wow, that's good. And that was a lot. And that's when they're going, oh, no, 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 stop doing that. A little late, right? So we've got to watch ourselves. We've got to have some, some decent choices. We all know what that is. I'm not going to try to pretend I'm a dietitian, But be careful with that. Eat balanced, okay? Don't go off on, on fad things because your kids will not stay with fads. They're exposed to too many other things. Your kids want different things, and that's cool. Give them different things, but eat balance. Teach them balance. 
teach them appropriate portions. That's one of the hardest things in America because we eat like two or three times what our body actually needs. And we insist restaurants serve us that. And they serve little portions. We're mad at them. So be careful. Ask yourself, how much do I really need? If you don't know, find out because you need to be training your kids to do that. Think how hard it is. Who, who here has ever struggled with weight? Okay. I've, two or three different times in my life I have gained significant amounts because of very, usually physical issues. And then I had to lose it. The gaining part was never hard. <laughs> I see commercials now for gaining weight. I think, are you crazy? But the losing. And if we, as disciplined adults, struggle with that, guess what that's like for kids? So we need to be careful with them. And then, exceptions. Kids should have french fries now and then. Kids should have chocolate cake now and then. You know, kids are kids. And we should have those things now and then. When we say we'll never eat any of that, 99% of us dump the entire regimen, all the discipline, and we go to that, we eat uncontrolled. So... Think it through. Do it intentionally. Do it not all the time. Do it as a celebration or as a special thing. And then let it be special and go back to what you were doing. Okay. So I'm going to put that in. And I've actually had many dietitians tell me that. Because the, the, the fact of the matter is most adults, much less kids, aren't going to be able to handle a regimen otherwise. All right. Exercise. That's the one that I was talking about before. And if you exercise enough, you can eat anything you want. But it's kind of hard for an adult to do that because it takes so much time. Um, I was actually doing that at one point, and I was still putting in 60 to 70 hours a week of work. But there wasn't much other life going on. And I did that for a few months leading up to uh, my most strenuous runs. And you could literally eat anything you wanted, but then when you stopped it, guess what? You don't stop eating everything you want. So be careful if you start doing that. Get into a daily, and I mean daily, okay, because habits that are daily will stick with us. Habits that are two or three times a week, you know, the, the, the gym owners love us because we're just giving them all sorts of money for nothing. Um, moderate. If we try to go extreme, if you're going to go extreme, you're going to go extreme. You're not going to need to try, frankly. It's going to take you over. So start moderate. Don't try to set goals that you can't make because what happens then is those goals that are so extreme defeat us and then we back off altogether. So set goals that you can do. Right now, I'm walking. I know my leg won't handle running. So with all the memories and with all the desire, tough. I can't do that. But I can walk. So I can walk 10K. I can walk hills rather than flats. I can walk trails rather than paved, you know. And you can just keep upping your goals, but each change should be moderate so that you're not blowing yourself out of the water. It needs to be consistent and effective for your goals. Don't ever look at someone else's workout. No one else has your body. No one else has the combination of your body and your goals. So always, I mean, learn from them, but then set your goals, okay? This is the stuff we teach our kids. 
Because if we're doing it and we talk to them about it, they'll naturally pick it up. They won't be the same as us because we're saying, no, your body, not mine. I have three kids. One of them runs. Just one. But that doesn't mean the other two aren't paying attention to these things. Okay? And avoid poisons and stress. Stress is emotional poison. It releases things into your body um, through your own body that literally poison you. Um, and you want to be really careful. So you want to limit stress, learn how to manage it if you don't know, and know what you take into your body. And that means food. That means supplements. This one drives me crazy. I'm not going to pick a fight here. If anybody is into this, um, fight me later. But if it comes in a bottle with a label, it is not natural. Show me bottles with labels on trees. It is not natural. Someone's processed it. It's gone through some processing, okay? I don't care if it's something you breathe in, something you rub on, or something you ingest. That does not make it bad, but it also doesn't make it good. So do your research. One of the, the fun things I look at is, and I'm going to go ahead and use this because they're so popular, um, each of the major oil companies has a pain-relieving oil. And if you look at it, because it's all natural. By the way, there's nothing on the planet that's not natural. Everything we've made, we made of what God made. It's not like we created new substances, right? But if you look on the label, it's U-oil. You know what the primary ingredient in you oil is? Does anybody know? Because you all know. You just don't know you know. Hmm? Mm-hmm. It's from the U tree. It's oil, which is from the U tree. I'm sorry, I didn't name it. It's just How do you spell that? Y-E-W. Oh, is it supposed to be It's extremely good selling. The primary ingredient is salicylic acid. You know what salicylic acid is? We call that aspirin. Now, aspirin's a very good drug, if you're allowed to take it, by the way, because a lot of people aren't because it does things to you. It is one of the most powerful over-the-counter drugs that exists. Does that mean that when people are tested, it comes out positive for aspirin? Well, if you're, if you're testing for, for aspirin, yeah, you would absolutely come out positive for it. So I just use that as an illustration because, yes, it's natural, but doesn't mean everybody should take it. So be careful. And then, of course, you know, the drugs that, that we take. I'm on a lot of drugs. I'm not saying you shouldn't take medications. There's some that I need. My wife literally has two that if she doesn't take. She'll die. And I, so call that an addiction if you like. I don't care. She's alive, so I'm good with that. But know the side effects of them. I got myself off of two-thirds of the drugs that they had me on, with the doctor's knowledge, by the way. I didn't do that Lone Ranger because I'm not quite that dumb. But, and then, of course, the illegal drugs and what is the most common drug in the United States? Alcohol. Okay? And alcohol is extraordinarily dangerous. So not in small amounts. But the small amounts are not usually what we think. So if you, if you have more than one drink at a time, you're already over the limit of uh, the danger line for a number of the things that it can do to your body. So just be aware of that, okay? All right. Teach your kids that. 
But most importantly, if you're that, then your kids will be that. Because they're going to be like you. Okay, now, spiritually, because remember that passage in Timothy, that the bodily exercise and all the stuff that we're teaching the kids now, it's good. But the value of it compared to godliness, to spiritual strength and health, is very limited. So how do we grow spiritually? Well, one of my favorite phrases is, know Jesus and be faithful. Every sermon and every lesson from Scripture is one of those two things. Knowing Jesus, which, by the way, is just happens to be the title of the sermon for Sunday, and the difference between knowing and knowing about. And it's an extraordinary difference. In Scripture, it's an extraordinary difference. And then, knowing Him, being faithful to Him. How do you do that? Well, the first thing you've got to do is commit yourself to whatever is healthy. It's just like the physical thing. When we try to make changes in our life, we cannot fit the changes into our lifestyle. So what we're doing is saying that I'm going to change my lifestyle. Okay? And I don't, I don't encourage people to try to do everything at once. I've listed before what we call the essentials here. If you haven't seen these, I have brochures on spiritual health assessments that we do here where we sit down and just talk about the essentials with people. I have a draft, uh, both uh, electronic and paper. So Lord willing, we're close. But honestly, I got slowed down significantly on the electronic version um, of a self-spiritual health assessment because more than one person has referred to me as the principal. I'm not sure that was a compliment. In fact, I'm rather certain it was not. But it just feels like I'm coming into the principal's office. That's not what they're about. I don't assess anyone. You assess yourself in a spiritual health assessment. We simply guide you in doing it. But what we do is focus on these seven essentials. And they're all in Scripture. They all go back a minimum of 3,000 years in terms of the Scripture telling us these need to be part of our life. Worship. Both individual worship and corporate worship. They're both commanded because they're both needed. If we back away from them, we are harming ourselves. It's, it's no different, really, than saying, I'm just not going to eat carbs. How many of you know people that say, I'm just not going to eat carbs? Well, the problem with that is our bodies are built to have carbs. Okay? Now, are they built to have the number of carbs that we have? No. And so that's, that's why we get into trouble. But spiritually, if we, if we take one of these essentials and say, I'm, just, I'm going to take a break from that, I'm going to back away from that, we're harming ourselves. And we're also teaching our kids something. And you need to be very careful of that. I've been in ministry now 43 years. I have seen several generations, if you look at every 10 or 15 years of kids growing, who have learned that worship and God are not important. And they've learned that because of the priorities that they see in their homes. So be careful of that. All right? Prayer. And with your children, make sure they see you pray. The fact that you pray is great. It's not good enough if they don't see it. Because remember, they're going to do what they see you doing. Okay? Um, we have men in here as well as women. Men, this is not a woman's job. In fact, in Scripture, we were the ones given the primary responsibility for the spiritual raising of the children, not the women. I personally think that both of those are culture. The Scripture basically says, we're all doing this. We're all supposed to do this. But understand this. 
your children will understand what a spiritually healthy man or a spiritually healthy woman is based on seeing you. So are you praying? If you're not, their understanding of what is good and healthy will be that. And they will not be motivated to do something else. So make sure that's happening and make sure that they're seeing it. And again, talk to them about it. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them why you're doing it. Help them understand that that prayer is, is real, even though we don't physically see God. Bible study, and I mean study, okay? Study means I stop, I look, I find out what that word means, I read the context. Um, so we can all read daily. Literally, all of us can do that. Maybe it's only a verse. I mean, that literally takes something like five seconds. So we can all do that. We can't all study daily. You guys pay me to. I love that. It's a racket, and I'm good with that. Because I enjoy Bible study, and I totally love lifestyle where I get to do that daily. But it's not something you can do in five seconds. So most of us are going to need to set aside a time maybe once a week where we have half an hour or an hour or more to just get into questions that build up as we read. But when your kids see you doing that, what they see is you think it's important enough to find out what it says. And they're going to grow up thinking that as well. One of the joys for me is watching my grandkids. And my grandkids, the ones who are above eight, because I don't have an eight-year-old. I have one eight-year-old who just turned eight. He's not quite there. But those who are nine and above can all study. They can all look words up. They can all do those things. And it's really cool. They're not great at it. They're not skilled at it because they're nine years old or whatever. But the reason they do it is because they see their parents doing it. Service. This is where we serve others, where we're doing something that's not for us except for the obvious health benefits that we get by not being self-centered. And I see service both internal and external. And I'm going to get on a hobby horse because I've got all of about two minutes. So very short ride, but I'll ride it. I get on uh, Facebook. I'm on Facebook with some of you. And every now and then I get into discussions. I got into one yesterday where a certain false teacher is being almost canonized. And it drove me crazy because the guy who posted it is a guy I've known for 30 years, and he knows better. And so we got into this discussion, some of it private, some of it public. Um, All of it, by the way, cordial and respectful. If you're going to be on where millions of people can see it, don't eat each other, okay? And the thing that was driving him is that he's gotten into a situation where he sees Christians not serving people other than themselves. Now, serving each other is what we call internal service. And it's important. It's mandatory. Okay? What do I mean mandatory? Will you go to hell if you don't do it? No. It's not the point. It's mandatory for health. That's what we're talking about. And if I take a break from it, I'm going to be getting unhealthy from the very beginning of it until I stop that and get back to service. But if the body of Christ is the church, and the scripture says it is, can we really picture Jesus being self-centered? I mean, can you, can you, in your head, can you picture self-centered Jesus? Because I can't. It doesn't work. So we can't just serve ourselves. And today we have an amazing dynamic. The church is actually beginning to be persecuted. It's happening. I've experienced it. But part of it is because the culture has developed this thing. And I don't 
I don't blame the culture for it. The culture isn't Christian. That you cannot love and disagree with me at the same time. That's the standard stance in the U.S. today. I am therefore a bigot and unloving because I disagree with things. And I, and, or, or phobic. And I'm not, honestly, the only phobia I've got, no, it's not a phobia. I'm scared it's not less of spiders, but it's not unreasonable. It's entirely reasonable, so it's not a phobia. All right? So I don't have a phobia. And I don't hate anybody. I really don't. But here's the problem with us. We focus so much on internal service that the external isn't showing that. So what happens if we were to find the people who most think we don't like them and figure out how we can serve them? It will be very awkward. It is very awkward. I guarantee it. But it's really good for us. And it can make a big difference in how others interact with us. Okay? It doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to serve them only if I can convince them I'm right. My service cannot be linked to that. If they invite me into the discussion, I'll enter it. And I'll start with, don't start talking if you think I have to agree with you. But serving people isn't connected to that. Storehouse. We have every different kind of person you can think of over there and have had for 10 years now. And it's great. And not one time do we say, wait a minute, do you believe this? Do you think this? Before we feed them. Or for that matter, before we sit down and talk with them and try to get to know them just as human beings. We can't just stop there. That's external because most of them aren't Christians, but we can't stop there. Okay, that was the horse ride. I'm off my hobby horse. We need relationships. We need to be with people who are like-minded. They want to grow in Christ. They want their kids to grow in Christ. And together, we can partner. And when one of us is weak, the other one can hold us up. Every one of us needs that. I'll tell you right now, the people who struggle with that the most are the staff. Because we're in certain roles that make that extremely difficult. We do spiritual health assessment with each other a minimum of six times a year. And every single time, every one of us, that's our weakest point. But we don't stop because we need this. And over the years, we develop relationships with people. And those relationships, the closest relationships I've got are people I met and got close to raising my kids with them when they were raising their kids. And I'm one couple, Don and I have been best friends with them for 38 and a half years. Haven't lived in the same state since 82. But we're still that close. Giving. If you're not a Christian, that ain't for you. It isn't. Give to other people, give to people who are hungry, whatever. But giving to the church is for Christians. I firmly believe that. If you're Christian, tithing. 10% off the top, first fruits. Before you even know what everything's going to be. And if it's short, you make it up. And if it's too much, you, you don't take it back. That was the agricultural version of tithing in the Hebrew culture. There's only two reasons we don't do this. One is selfishness and the other is fear. And neither of those is the way we want to live our lives. After the last nine years around here, fear is a big one. A lot of people lost homes. A lot of people lost jobs. And I understand that. 
but we don't want that to govern our lives. And I cannot tell you how many people have said, you know, once I started giving faithfully, priorities fell in place. God either provided or I stopped spending it in places I wasn't supposed to be. And there are no issues. And I've had, I can, I can point to about half a dozen couples right now who, they basically just play by giving. They tithe, but then they, they look at whatever else they have. What else can we do? And they look and find ways to do that creatively, and they just get a giant kick out of it. And it's fun to watch. I don't know, by the way, what you gift, and don't ever tell me. <laughs> I don't ever want to see a little dollar sign or a big dollar sign. I'm not that objective, so I, I avoid it. That way I, just, I don't have to treat people differently. But for spiritual health, if we're not doing it, our kids won't either. So we need to be training them. And finally, sharing our faith. And all that is is simply telling people what God is in our life. I don't have to know if you're Christian or not Christian to share my faith. If you're not Christian, you're going to hear it differently. That's okay. The Spirit's going to use it differently. If you're Christian, you're going to hear it as a Christian. And when you share your faith with me, I hear it as a Christian and I'm encouraged by it. So Christians need to hear it because we're encouraged. Non-Christians need to hear it because they need to know there's an answer to the things they're dealing with in life. And there is an answer. And his name is Jesus. So, thank you guys for listening. Um, We started late. I think I went almost exactly the time we were supposed to go. But we still are open as far as the lounge until 8. That was hard to swallow, wasn't it? So which part of this are you arguing with? That's what you get for forcing tacos on me. Are there any questions, though, that I can help with? with you, and that's not been my experience. Yeah, but my children have found, <laughs> my children have found, my son Michael found $200 one time on the floor, $200 bill. Mm-hmm. And one time me and my son David were walking, we were going to church in the morning, and my son needed to use the restroom, so we went to some bushes over there, and we found a $100 bill on the parking lot, $100 bill. And it was a time we really needed the money. Yeah. And so I know God is... God, God can provide for us in a lot of different ways. But this is important to understand. God has decided he doesn't want me having money. I don't know about you. I only know about me. And there is no doubt in my mind of that. Because there's different times in my life when I come into, you know, thousands of dollars. uh, Or tens of thousands in some cases. And every single time I've come into expenses to match them. So he takes care of it, he gets me through it, but he's not the least bit interested in me having money. And as I tithe, I need, I need to keep in my mind, this isn't about me getting something other than an awareness that everything I've got came from him to begin with. So it's an act of worship, and we need to be very careful. It's not an investment, but yes, he will take care of our needs. I do not in any way 
tell you he will take care of your wants. Because I don't think that's always true. What do you think about banks, like to save your money in the bank? I know this is not nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's more like finances. But let, 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 me, let me take something that might be related to this, and I'll talk about that afterwards, okay? Okay. I do have a question for example, I work with a teenager. Mm-hmm. foundation. 
because they've been taught all along, this is your answer. This is what you've got to put everything in. And it's going to give way sooner or later. When I was 16, I could bench press 320. I weighed 154 pounds. I bench pressed over twice my weight. Do you know how much call there is for that in real life? Pretty much none. So it was wonderful. I could brag to my friends. And by the way, brag I did. Not a good thing either. We're back to the personality. And, you know. and then, all of a sudden, this is worthless. <laughs> this is absolutely worthless. And that's what happens to a lot of these people. Even the ones who do very well, they don't know what to do with the money because they don't know what to do with their lives. And it's an extreme. I know, I know professional athletes who have ministries trying to work with those people right now because it is so common. So, you know, you, you work with them. You, you try to do what you can do. People will make their own choices. And unfortunately, when we're talking about children, the parents make the choices for the kids. And it's very hard for the kids to go against what they've been brought up with until they hit something that is hard enough for them that makes them reevaluate it. And I'd like to help them not hit that wall. So, any other questions? Okay. I will be repeating this on Thursday. Um, I, those of you who have been to two sermons in the same day for me, some of you on the music team and so forth know this, I never do the same thing exactly the same way, but it will be substantially the same. Um, again, love to hear your feedback on either the idea of this, the lounge itself, but the lounge is open until 8, at which point we really encourage you to go get your kids. And uh, then on Thursday it will be open again at 6, and we'll be open until 8. Okay? Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.